You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? On tonight's episode of the Mitch and Rich Show, on this eve of the Academy Awards, Richard, we're going to talk about the last two movies we have left in the Best Picture nominee category. We made it! <laughs> we made it! <laughs> we made it. We, we made it just under the wire. Uh, we're going to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah and The Father, um, both Two movies that uh, I did not expect to like as much as I did. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you about them. Yeah, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I really, I, I don't know. I, I Again, I haven't really been, I guess, keeping up with a lot of the marketing side of, of the film industry lately. And so I kind of didn't really know what to expect with either of these. And I probably should have with Judas and the Black Messiah since it's based off of a true story. But I didn't really know much about it, so it was definitely uh, interesting to uh, kind of watch these. Yeah, no, I think I think so. I mean, I I too am a uh, bad American, I guess, because I don't really know enough about my American history, especially recent American history. I don't. I feel like they don't teach that that well in school. Uh, like you go back a century or so, like they teach you more about that than they do about recent history. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to talk about those two movies, but first I have one news story I want to talk about because we talked about Sony last week and their, uh, deal with Netflix of going to give them movies after their window for theater release and premium VOD release. Now this story came out that, uh, let me, let me see how it's worded exactly. It says, um, Sony, in an unprecedented deal, will give uh, Disney. Yeah, so, wait. Theatrical releases from 2022 to 2026 will move to Disney after their runs on Netflix, which earlier this month announced a deal with Sony for a pay one exclusive as well as co productions right to direct to streaming films. So. Essentially, the Spider-Man movies will will be able to be seen on Disney Plus, and then uh, a whole slew of movies that Sony owns will be available on Hulu. Um, I don't exactly know what the different tiers of time limit that the things are going to be. I don't know if you understand that all that well. Um, I'm not too familiar with how they have that structured for their distribution and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, I don't know what exactly what a pay one window is, a pay one release window, uh, but Disney and Sony have reached a multi-year deal for the post-pay one release window. So after these movies go to Netflix, because they, they, that's how this, it seems like it would be, it's going to be the window for theatrical release, then there will be a window for premium VOD, and then there will be a window for... Uh, Netflix, and then eventually they will go to Disney. So Disney will have those movies after that point. 
Now, does that mean like Spider-Man far, far from home or home, uh, uh, homecoming like that are out now could show up on Disney plus or do you have to wait till 2022? Yeah, again, I, I'm not too sure on that. I'm, I'm guessing that the the pay window certainly has probably something to do with an amount of time after its theatrical release, or it might even have something to do with an amount of time based on an amount of money that's paid for that. The Disney thing does make sense for a lot of the Spider-Man stuff because, you know, the Marvel deal that they have, you know, so I guess it, it's not too shocking. And you know, you do want to keep your options open because, again, you want to try to recoup the largest amount of money possible. So, um, I guess by kind of moving their plat their their content around from platform to platform to platform, that's certainly opening up a broader window for them to be able to recover more money. So, I, I feel like it's a smart idea. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it. I'm sure that will work out best for them. And we talked about it last week how Sony doesn't have a streaming platform of their own other than crackle we talked we forgot about crackle last week but uh i don't know if crackle is still around or not i did you ever watch anything on crackle no i didn't (laughs) i sure didn't Uh, that's how much i've paid attention to it we don't even know if it still exists i watched one movie on crackle once it was the steven yoon uh movie where they he works in a in, in a office building and like on the day that he either quits or gets fired like the whole building gets in a like a lockdown because someone released a a virus in there that like cranks up your aggression and like they were all just fighting each other all the time like throughout the whole thing so that was like literally the only thing i watched it had commercials cuz it's it's a commercial streaming service and uh like the commercials were just like the same commercial every every 15 seconds like it would start over and he did it for uh, a two minute commercial break and i was just like oh this was hard to watch <laughs> yeah that does not sound like a wonderful viewing experience at all i think it was called mayhem i think that's what that name the name of that movie was so uh but that's crackle i have no idea if it's still around uh but as i said sony doesn't have a premiere uh streaming platform like uh, the rest of the studios do. So this seems like it'd be the best way to work out for them. Yeah. And and I mean, I don't know, in a way I'd kind of like to see, I guess some of the other studios kind of doing the same thing, because I mean, it would, it would be nice to be able to have some of this content more universally available instead of just on one platform, which I guess is silly in some capacities because I feel like everybody has, like 15 or 20 different platforms now, but like it would still be nice to be able to, you know, maybe get rid of a couple of them and still be able to see all the stuff that's coming out. So I know that like Peacock is owned by NBC universal. Is that where you watch universal movies? Like if I wanted to watch, uh, if I wanted to stream the fast and the Furious, where could, where could I watch that at? Do you know? I have no idea. I wonder where that's a very good question. Yeah, I don't even have Peacock, so I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I mean, Peacock is a uh, um, it's a ad free or with ads like membership thing, um, depending on what you how you want to do it. So the first mm-hmm. Fast and the Furious is available on HBO Max. Hmm. And so I wonder what the, if there's a deal like the different ones are at different places. But there you go. 
like Universal doesn't seem like they have a exclusivity at Peacock. They they go around to different places. And it seems to be, I guess, working out for them. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, we, like, we've got to, we're like not even sure where to find them. So maybe it's not working out yet, but I mean, how do you, when you think of a movie out of the rant, like out of random, like n- maybe not something that's brand new, but like something that you just, because the other day I was just sitting around and I was like, you know what I really want to watch right now? I want to watch Roadhouse. So how, where do you, what do you do when you just figure a movie out of random that you want to go watch? How do you figure out where it's at? Uh, I usually just Google it. Do you? I just usually Google, you know, streaming and whatever the movie title is, or where's this streaming in the movie title, something along those lines. I do the same, but sometimes I feel like it doesn't give me the best results. <laughs> so then I go and like actually go into each individual app and be like, is Roadhouse here? <laughs> Search in there. And then, yeah, usually it does it. I always find that like the older movies that I, I'm looking for, they're like available on like AMC plus or something. And I'm like, I don't have AMC plus who has AMC plus. <laughs> and oddly enough, that's where Roadhouse was, was on AMC plus. So, Oh, that's so crazy. I yeah. I find my DVD somewhere and like try and play it off of that. But again, like it feels like that's the the territory we're in now is that, you know, it's, it's so difficult to try to have every single streaming platform. So like inevitably you're kind of just going to be out of luck on some of that or, or, you know, maybe you have to rent it or whatever, you know, cause sometimes you can rent it through other platforms. That's true. Usually you can find it on Amazon like to rent for, or on YouTube to rent. Uh, I just kind of refuse to pay <laughs> the rental fee. I'm like, it's gotta be streaming somewhere <laughs> that I can, I can find it. For the most part, you're probably right, though. I mean, like, I feel like there's a very high chance that it is going to be available via subscription on one of the streaming platforms because there's just so freaking many of them now. Uh, what was the last like movie that that you did that with that you went looking for, like an old movie? Oh gosh, I don't even remember. It's ooh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's been a long, it's been a long time where I've watched something other than what we had to for the podcast. So in my bedroom, I have a fire stick. And then in the downstairs, we have a fire TV. Uh, I've just recently started using the search function on that. So like if I like find something like I, I, I'm looking for something particular instead of, I used to just go to the app that I wanted and then like go to that app and then search, but like there's a overall search that you can just like type in whatever you want and it will find it on the different streaming apps that you already have installed. If it's there, uh, I assume that's I assume you use uh, Apple TV because you have Apple stuff. Well, I have um I have like an Apple TV now, but uh, before that, um, I was actually using the Roku stuff, and that does the um, same thing, right? They have the same thing on Roku and Apple TV. Where you can just search whatever, like the the main search, and it will take you to wherever it's at. Mm, they, uh, sort of, I guess. I, I I've never found it to be that helpful or like that accurate. Like usually, you still, usually I would still just go to Google because that would kind of kick back better results. Um, I don't know. Again, I haven't tried to use that feature too much, so I guess maybe they've updated it. I, my biggest thing with the Roku thing was like there was for I don't know it's just weird with like the applications like it, there was like for a while like um, 
you know, I watch a lot of Twitch stuff. And so like they don't have like an official Twitch app. So you can't like watch app or uh, Twitch via like one of the, you know, one of the Roku TVs. And then like HBO Max was starting and they didn't have like an HBO Max app for like the longest time. And so they I guess that's that's inevitably why I went back and just bought another of the newer versions of the Apple TV was because it was just so frustrating to like you know, always be behind the curve on the apps. Like they were always just delayed. It felt like versus all the other streaming, uh, kind of like players or whatever you want to call them. And, and so, yeah, I, I did on my, my main like living room TV, I went back to, uh, an Apple TV. And then the one that I have in my, in my room is still a Roku, but, um, I'll have to try that and report back. Cause now I'm curious to see if it, if it is going to be, beneficial but the weird thing about roku though that i will say uh is they also have like a library of like on-demand shows and movies that you can watch via roku tv that is supported like with ads so it's a lot more like watching traditional television where it's like going along and then there's like break points for commercials and then it goes back to it but they also have like a pretty pretty decent library of of different films and things like that that you can watch so they just announced, I think this week or a few weeks ago, that uh, Roku was going to be acquiring the library from Quibi, the failed streaming uh, platform from last year, uh, and all those original shows that were on there. And I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I did take up their three-month free um, trial, like uh, Quibi, when it first came out, and I watched a, a, a good handful of their shows, and some of them are really good. The problem is that... You can't end something in seven minutes. It doesn't work that way. Like when you have a long form story, it just it doesn't work out well. Uh, I'll be interested if you decide to watch any of that. So one thing I want to ask is that, is there original programming that is only on Roku? And do you have to pay extra for Roku TV uh, programming? Um, no and no that I'm aware of. Um, I could be short-sighted in... in my answer on that but i i don't i don't ever remember seeing anything on there that i had to pay for like i mean it was like a good while back but i remember like just kind of scrolling through it and uh i think i watched like universal soldier or something I watched like an old van damme movie that was on there and it was just like kind of watching it like if it was on television but uh there was just ads but as far as i know they don't currently at least i believe i don't think they have any actual exclusive premium content that you would have to pay money to watch or that's even exclusive to them like i think they're just like redistributing like other films right yeah like that those quibi shows are going to be they're supposed to be retitled uh roku original television or something like that original Mm -hmm. uh shows um, but I just like you just buy a Roku box or a Roku TV and mm-hmm. you automatically get these um, these movies that you're talking about, right? Like you don't pay a monthly fee Correct. or if anything. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, I, I honestly, I, I don't think I've ever actually used a Roku. So I'm, I was curious about that. Uh, it's when I saw the story about um, the Quibi. Quibi. Yeah. The Quibi shows up because I wonder, I really do wonder if they're going to split them up in the seven minute the seven to eight minute uh, segments that they were on the, the Quibi platform, or if they're just going to string them all together, you know, so it, it does all as one thing. Cause if they do, you should give most dangerous game a, a try. I thought that was actually a really good uh, solid movie. The only problem is, is that 
because they split it up into eight minute segments, like the last eight minutes kind of sucks because you're like, you have to do a whole climax and then, uh, you know, get everybody's story to, to, uh, finish up in eight minutes. And it's like, that doesn't work that way. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like I would imagine that they would be in a situation where they would want to connect them all and then interlace their, you know, free advertisers or whatever in there. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't imagine that it would somehow be more beneficial to, because I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could keep them at seven minutes and then just run a commercial every seven minutes, but like that feels a little excessive, but I mean, maybe it's not, but it, it kind of feels that way nowadays. Um, so yeah, I, I can't imagine that it would be the best for them to purchase that. And then, distribute it the same way that Quibi was. However, I think what might be even more interesting out of that is the, or, or I guess kind of more, uh, a more interesting question might be, is this a quick play to see if they go to some sort of prescri- uh, subscription based platform thing with these Quibi things edited into like normal series or normal show links, if there's enough interest for them to eventually branch into actually creating their own, exclusive programming because i feel like inevitably that is going to become larger and larger i mean netflix i think i think it was netflix came out and made a statement that they are allocating uh 17 billion dollars uh either this year or next year for exclusive uh exclusive content so that's a huge amount of money so it does make you wonder if this isn't kind of a quick play for Roku to build a quick library of exclusive content that might be a way to rapidly prototype if there was enough interest for them to actually start their own premium subscription uh, streaming service. Uh, speaking of, of Netflix, like, I don't know if, and it sounds like this is the exact same thing that Roku does with what, like when you watched Universal Soldier, but uh, you ever, have you used Pluto TV yet? Yes, I have. So I heard Netflix was going to be doing a similar thing. Like they're going to have channels on Netflix now or maybe coming soon where uh, if they don't already have them where you they'll they'll just be playing things and you can just jump in where at wherever point that there are basically going back to television <laughs> the way television used to be. Uh, so it I. It seems very weird how we've we've gone cir- full circle in many ways, as in, you know, ditching the the cord so that you don't have to pay as much, and now with all the streaming service, you pay just as much, uh, and then you could also just jump in at a particular part of a show instead of starting from the beginning, like in Netflix and had intended in you know when they first started. Uh, so you haven't used Pluto, right? That's what you're saying. I have. No, I have used Pluto. I've used Pluto. Oh. Like I like the. I think it's funny. Like you can, they'll have certain channels that are just dedicated to one particular show, like a channel that is completely dedicated to Leverage, which is a show that I enjoyed, but I didn't think there was enough people out there that enjoyed that show, also that they'd want a whole channel dedicated to it. Well, that's what I, w- I was just going to say, you know, like it's really fascinating, but like there's uh, actually so many times where, you know, I'm like kind of tired and I want to watch something, but I don't want to spend a bunch of time like kind of flipping through uh, Netflix looking for something or whatever. And so like 
weirdly, there is something nostalgically comfortable about just going to Pluto and just mindlessly throwing on a channel and then having commercial interruptions every so often. Like, I I, I literally don't know. I, I never thought in my life if if someone was to be like, hey, you're eventually going to be able to watch everything without commercials that I'd be like, yeah, let me let me do this this way. But for some reason, super late at night uh, or if I'm kind of just not you know, feeling well, or I want to zone out. It's just so easy. So I do think there is something there for Netflix to do something similar and maybe not even have commercials, but maybe just have it to where, Oh yeah, they definitely shouldn't have commercials. It should just be, it should just be playing 24 seven. Like, so, you know, obviously they lost the office. Uh, Peacock has that now, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, but if, I, I assume that the the idea for that kind of came from the fact that so many people rewatched The Office over and over, and I'm not one of them, but like people always talked about that, like oh, I just I rewatched The Office for the 47th time or whatever, like the whole thing. Um, I I don't know what particular shows that they have now on Netflix that they would do do such a thing on, but like, what's the thing on Pluto TV that do you have a normal channel that you go to? Are you a big Mystery Science Theater 3000 person that they, you go to that channel? Uh. uh- no, um, I actually go to the Star Trek channel. I've been yes. watching a shitload of Star Trek Next Generation. Um, and yeah, it's it, I mean, it's obviously you can watch it to the point that some of the episodes are like looping or repeating or whatever. But um, it honestly feels like they even do a pretty good job of like kind of rotating the episodes out and stuff like that. So they kind of are like on a rotation for, you know, I would I don't know if this is 100 percent accurate, but I'm just going to say maybe like a week or so. And then, you know, the next week there's kind of like a different rotation. But um, so, you know, you can see kind of some of the same episodes doubled up. But I don't know. It's just uh, it's so like I said, it's just like nostalgically comforting to not have to think about what to put on and just be like, boop. All right, we're good now, you know? <laughs> I like that. Uh, all right, let's get into talking about the movies that we're here to talk about. Let's talk about Judas and the Black Messiah first, uh, a movie that is produced by Ryan Coogler, directed by Shaka King, written by uh, a story by Will Burson, a uh, story by Shaka King, and there's four other credits for writers. Uh, Kenneth Lucas, story by... Keith Lucas story by uh, screenplay by Will Burson and screenplay screenplay by Shaka King. Um, this is obviously based on a true story, uh, in, or as it said at the beginning, I believe sp- inspired by true events. Um, Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill, Jesse Plemsden as FBI agent Roy Mitchell, uh, and then a whole slew of other people. Um, Funny thing was, is that, uh, was it Deborah Johnson in the movie was played by Dominique Fishback, who was in, uh, power project power that we watched last year or earlier this, this year. I don't remember when Mm -hmm. it was, uh, playing a much younger character, I believe in that. So that's what I think kind of threw me off on this a little bit. Um, also the actor that was in the coming to America movie was also in this. Uh, a, a much smaller part later on in the movie and uh, like it was interesting to see him in there too this movie for me had parts that I really loved and then parts that I just didn't care for I think the parts when we were dealing with uh, the Black Panther Party and how they were uh, 
relating to the the community, um, trying to uh, organize against the the police and uh, the politicians and you know everything that was essentially holding back the people. Uh, like was the parts that I really enjoyed. I, I really I don't know Doug. Uh, and the unfortunate part is like the parts where we were dealing with family stuff or their personal lives. I was just like, okay, like I, I didn't hate it. I understand. And I understand what it is. This, these are care. This is a character building movie, a character development movie. I just wasn't as interested in it. Um, and I was also have to say is that I've, you know, I, I know this is somewhat blasphemy because, because I'm not the biggest Lakeith Stanfield fan but I think this is the best movie I've ever seen him, like the best acting I've ever seen him do. And I really enjoyed him in this as, as well as Daniel Kuya. I thought he was, he, I thought they were both phenomenal. Yeah. I, um, I think mm, it's so tough because for me, I, I think the performances are really engrossing. I think the production design setting the period uh, for the movie in which uh, you know it takes place is is also very engrossing. Uh, where it kind of falls off the rails for me is the actual story itself. I really don't think that the story itself is balanced very well. Like there's certain events that you're like, okay, it would be interesting to see more of this or to know more of this, but then it very quickly kind of transitions to something else. And it, it, I don't know, to me, I just never felt like it was a very solid, cohesive story. It just kind of felt like they were trying to go in too many different directions or capture too many different, like, iconic or historic moments. And I feel like in doing so, none of the other moments, like, really get a chance to breathe and develop and let you really kind of take those in, you know? Um And I feel like that's kind of even true with some of the characters. Like, had they had lesser actors in this, they would have been in real trouble, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, again, that's what kind of really kept me engrossed and kept me drawn into what was going on was the performances. And I just think had both of those things been at the same level, we would have ended up with a truly, truly phenomenal film. And I think what we got is a is a good or or really good movie but not a truly great film um and yeah i don't know there's the cast is just so wonderful like there, like you said there are just so many really awesome people in this to watch and so many different types of like characters you know and i just feel like there's a lot of them that just really didn't get their moments you know mm-hmm. uh i love i loved that the but the movie begins with like, uh, you know, Lakeith Stanfield doing this interview as mm-hmm. um, as uh, William O'Neill, and then the movie ends with the real interview with William O'Neill, uh, right. and then we also see real footage of Fred Hampton, and like it, it, it was a great bookend for me. Uh, I, the piece of trivia that everybody kind of talks about is the fact that uh, Daniel Kuya. And uh, Lakeith Stanfield were 31 and 29 while making this movie, respectively, uh, whereas their characters, Fred Hampton and William O'Neill, were 21 and 17 when these events happened. Like, mm-hmm. these were very young men. Uh, and obviously, Fred Hampton, uh, quite prolific, uh, was able to get 
so many people to follow him and, and, and uh, recognize, you know, what was going on. So interesting to think about someone at the age of 21 doing something like that. Like me, I, I think I was still just trying to tie my shoes at that 21. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, and, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, again, I feel like there's a foundation for a truly like phenomenal story about either one of them. And I just feel like what we ended up with was kind of this uneven middle ground beto- between those two things. And I think it's really unfortunate because like Fred Hampton, I mean, I feel like we hardly even got any of his character. Like, I mean, he's in the movie a lot. Don't get me wrong. But like he kind of goes off to jail and then that's basically it for a, also a pretty good part of the movie where he's just kind of not even there anymore. And and so, again, I just I, I don't know. I mean, maybe if they would have focused on one character more than the other or, you know, found a better balance, I, I really think it could have been, you know, really uh, prolific both ways. Um, but yeah, it, it is especially at the very end of the movie, you know, um, obviously spoiler alerts but it's based on a true event uh you know he gets murdered in his sleep and he's like what 21 right that's what that's what you said 21 right right. yeah and uh man i you know i just can't even imagine that you know like that's that's so incredible yeah like you're saying like the movie might have benefited if they just picked one particular character uh or uh person to follow as a as the the lead but as it is both daniel coolia and lakeith stanfield got nominated for uh best performance by an actor in a supporting role so they're both considered supporting actors to each other uh Hmm. there is no lead actor so to speak uh which i think is interesting and 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 maybe it did hurt the overall storytelling um but I see what I feel like I see what this, the movie makers were, were doing. They were they wanted to show you how both of them were pivotal in this story, and I, I think I get that. But I think you're you're absolutely right that we needed one person to stand out more than the other for it to feel like a, a truly good storytelling. Yeah, or, or you know, and, and again, I don't know. I mean, I you know, to be fair, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of this uh, actual story. So, you know, maybe that's part of it, too. But, it, yeah, I don't know. Just something about it. It just felt like every time something was starting to get really moving, it would jump over to something else and just kind of slow it back down. You know, the other thing that I think is, and not that they're taking these roles or whatever, you know, just for the Academy Awards, but... You know, since we're coming up on that and we're kind of talking about it, uh, that also feels kind of like a a bad decision. Like on the one hand, you're like, okay, well, they're they're saying that there is no lead, but then at some point, you know, you are hurting your chances because now you're competing against each other for the same Academy Award. Whereas if you at least kind of broke that up and said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to let you take the lead of this, you're going to have a chance to compete against other people that aren't me for an Academy Award and vice versa. So like, I I don't know. I feel like maybe that would have been a smart play for them too, because again, when, and, and this isn't everything obviously, but whenever your film wins Academy Awards, like there's more eyes that get put on this. And I mean, again, this is a movie that I think you want more people to see because it's unfortunately still a very relevant story, which is sad that it, that it is, but it is, you know, I mean, and, and so with that, I just, 
I don't know. I'm just like, I wonder why they maybe didn't go that route because I think that could have been more beneficial for them and the film both. Yeah. I assume that at, Oh, this was Warner brothers and just about every other studio, there is a room (laughs) that's dedicated just to, uh, you know, workers sitting there figuring out which category to put, you know, uh, whatever actors or movies or whatever into for award season. And I get what you're saying. Like put one in the leading actor category, put one in the supporting actor category. And now you've doubled your chances of, of winning, you know, uh, or you've, you made it so that you could possibly win two. Whereas this way they've doubled their chances of, of winning one. Like, yeah, they're competing against each other, but like two out of the five that are nominated, there's better chance that your movie is going to get a, an Oscar this way, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you, you're certainly not wrong with that either, and and maybe, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe that is the 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 play, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they would have had a better chance going the other direction, but maybe not. I mean, I guess we're gonna find out tomorrow, <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see. But but yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, in this movie, they mentioned uh, something that's happening in the real world at the exact same time, in which we saw portrayed in another movie uh, that is also nominated for Best Picture Oscar, uh, mm-hmm. Chicago the Trial 7, or Chicago, Trial of the Chicago 7. Trial of there the we Chicago go. 7, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the scene of, of Bobby Seale and how he's, you know, uh, co- uh, confined to the chair and humiliated and um they they you know there's a there's a scene in this movie that that talks about that and i believe there's scenes in that movie that talk about fred hampton and going him going to jail uh so it's very interesting that both movies are taking place in the exact same time period and and you know definitely have something to do with the same subject um did did you enjoy that like the the synergy between these two like i know it's not on purpose like they're just dealing with real life events but it's, i don't know for me like it's a weird thing in my head that i'm like oh that's kind of fun well i mean i think it's definitely again it's pretty eye-opening that both of those things were happening at basically the same time or relatively close to the same time frame you know what i mean like that's pretty crazy um yeah i i don't i, I mean you watch this movie, you watch uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. I just can't even fathom living in that time period. I mean, um, there's there's a scene in this film where, well, there's a lot actually, where there's just kind of this back and forth uh, violence between, you know, the Black Panthers and, and the police. And there's one in particular where they're at the, like, you know, they're at like the second story of their headquarters or whatever. And the, the one of the ladies uh, just grabs a shotgun and just, literally starts shooting out the window at the cops and you're just like after after the cops fire first well yeah the cop fires first he says sniper on the roof oh that's true and he fires and yeah you're right you're right that's true okay so no you're totally right Uh, but but still she opens the window and is just standing there with a shotgun which i you know again not that anyone should ever be shot for that but i'm just saying i i can't like imagine just standing on the street and seeing this massive gunfire 
uh, or gunfight between. And again, it could happen. I mean, we still have tons of horrible things that happen today in society. It's not like, again, this movie is still relevant. It's not like things have, have changed a, a tremendous amount. But, you know, I, it does feel like it's changed a little bit because like. I don't know. I mean, do you do you ever turn on the news and see just this like huge shootout with, you know, anyone uh, other than mass shooters? You know what I'm saying? Like with like an actual group currently, like, I mean, I feel like it's it does still happen. Uh, but yeah, I guess you're right. I don't I don't tend to turn on the news and see see it hap- unfolding uh, in current time. Um I do find it interesting that, you know, like nowadays that's what the biggest thing about like second amendment, right? People it's like, Oh, well I should, you know, I I'm allowed to have a gun in my house, but then when certain definitely when, uh, you know, people of color end up having a gun, even if it's legal, like they, they still get killed. Like it's, it's, automatically a a bigger threat and it's 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 sad like i i don't i don't know how to wrap my head around it right but that's what i'm saying like imagine living in this time period and you know you're you're see i mean like and granted i guess in in a lot of ways the the difference would be that in living in that time period you wouldn't have had as much access to the information because certainly social media and news travels infinitely faster than it did in the 60s and 70s. So we, in some capacities, we are exposed, uh, exposed to more information, but I'm just saying like, I just can't even fathom like having to stop and think about this massive ongoing gun battle between, uh, you know, a group and the, and the police, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Like mm-hmm. no matter, no matter what group it is, like I, I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong for it. I'm just saying like, no matter what group it is, you know, I just can't imagine that being the reality of that time that it was just, you well, know, I guess it like, seems so common based on these two films that it's, it, it was at that moment that this was all kind of coming to a head. And so it was just a lot more prominent of this time period where it, it you know, we still have those things, but it, it doesn't seem I guess that's not fair. I guess it is, but it's, it, I don't know. It just feels different. Well, like, not, not better or worse, but, but different. You know in, what I mean? In a most recent history, uh, we had the insurrection on the Capitol in November mm-hmm. or January 6th. And you, you had, you know, people with guns trying to storm the, ca- or storming the Capitol, not trying. Uh, and, and there was the one uh, lady that was shot in the building, you know, as she was, part of the group that was trying to bust in the door. So had this been a different group, had this been a group of, of people of color, like trying to break into the Capitol, would it have been a much bloodier thing? Like all of last year as uh, black Lives matter protests were happening, you know, people were getting shot and killed that we had. So I think it's, it's a much different scene than what we're seeing in this movie, but it's still happening. Yeah, and, and that's why I said I, I guess it just does feel different, though. And and you're right because I mean that still like shocks me that there wasn't more people that got gunned down at the Capitol. Like it still baffles me to this day that there was not tons of people that were killed in gunfire exchanges. Like it literally baffles me. I'm like that's so crazy that it, it it's still a tragedy, you know, that anyone lost their life. But you know. Uh, 
not just then, but even in this film, like, you know, they get shot by the cops and like are killed. And that's still any loss of human life is kind of a tragedy. Right. Yes. But like, it's just shocking to see that it wasn't worse at the Capitol. Like, I mean, I feel like that could have gone way, way worse. And I, and I, I do kind of have those same things where you're like, yeah, if it was a different circumstance, would it have been worse? And, you know, unfortunately it seems like it, probably would have been right but most, yeah most likely obviously we're not gonna know but i mean yeah it's just and, and i don't know and i guess in some ways like i'm still removed from that because i i mean i watched it on tv but like i wasn't there you know what i mean like i, I feel like it would be the same thing for someone uh who was in New York, New York when like 9 11 happened right. right like right that's gonna have uh not that it's not you know jarring or tragic to me but like i i didn't have anyone that was there like i watched it through the television i you know certainly was shocked by it and it certainly had an impact on me but not gonna have the same impact on me as if i had family there or if i was literally there in person going through it and witnessing it so i'm just i guess that's what i'm getting at like i just can't imagine having to witness this kind of day in and day out like and and you know at some point you're like well does that become a, a normal to 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 everyone that's going through that and if it does it's so it's it's such a tragedy like that's, that's so that's disgusting you that it would you know you've, you've literally hit on the nail of of privilege and that's our privilege that we don't oh, have for to sure. deal with something like that every day day in day absolutely out. no absolutely no 1000 uh, yeah. percent you know 1000 percent. so getting back to the movie uh how did you feel about the way this was shot so here, and I don't know. So uh, I recently got um, a newer television. I, I ended up getting like an OLED, um, and I've watched a, I've watched a few different movies on it now. So I don't think it was that, but there's something in the lighting of this movie. Or again, I, I, I could be it could be something to do with my TV settings. Like I'm not I'm not going to rule that out. Uh, but there is just something about the lighting in this movie or at least a good portion of this movie that really just bugged me. And it made it very difficult to watch some of the, the scenes. And um, I don't know. Did you, I don't know. Did you have any experience like that at all? Like, so, were you jarred by that? I wasn't jarred by anything. Um, and I do, I have not gotten a new TV, <laughs> but I definitely feel like it had that feel of a period piece movie. Like, I, I feel like when you watch things like that, you it has to have a certain look, and it it, it had that look for me. Um, I I feel like it didn't capture maybe the grittiness of the situation that was going on, uh, mm -hmm. lighting wise. Maybe it was maybe it was all just a little too too lit for me. I guess is is way to put it. Um, but no, I, yeah, I really have no. an issue any other any other way. I don't know. It's just weird. There's like so many different moments where it it feels like the the key light, which is the light that should be responsible for the exposure of the actor's face. It just felt like it was like blown out or like overexposed, and it made it like kind of harder to look at that. And I was like, that's such a bizarre choice. Um, I think closer towards like the middle to the end of the movie, they started using more of these like green and yellow kind of colored lights, and it became like less uh aggressive but there's like a i don't know there's just a lot of scenes where like so it, to me it felt like and i agree with you it does 
seem like they're some of it's kind of like being story driven for the sake of um the the period piece or whatever because it feels like they did a lot of the lighting exterior to the interiors and like kind of just punched it through these windows and then maybe used some bounce cards or something to uh kind of fill in the contrast um but it just felt like the 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 lights that were on a lot of people's faces were just overexposed and it, it i don't know it just felt really jarring to me at a lot of different points of the movie to where i was like ooh that is just so harsh to kind of like look at that lighting and kind of focus on this person that's giving this like kind of powerful performer, you know, this powerful performance or whatever. So I don't know. It just really took me out of it a lot. And, and again, I'm not entirely sure if that's my TV because I had a similar like experience with the father, which we're going to talk about next, but that actually made a little bit more sense to me, given the context of that Mm -hmm, story. mm -hmm. Um, so it, it did seem to fit more with what, what that story was doing, both in terms of like, you know, theme and mood and all that sort of stuff. But I just found it to be very kind of, um, I don't know, just kind of be very invasive or or very, uh, distracting, uh, Mm. in Judas and the Black Messiah. Okay. Uh, the cinematographer on this is Sean Bobbitt. He's had a, uh, quite the career since 1994. He's been... Uh, director of photography for a lot of things. Uh, I think most people will know him probably for 12 years of slave. Right. So I was, I was going yeah. to get to, uh, you know, uh, back in 2012, he had the place beyond the pines, Byzantium or Byzantium, which is a movie I, I told you to watch. I don't know if you ever got around to watching it or not. It's a very interesting uh, kind of vampire movie. Uh, I haven't. <laughs> that's fine. 2013 <laughs> was uh, 12 years of slave and old boy, which I know you don't care for the remake. Uh, and Kill Kill the Messenger was in 2014, which is, uh, I believe that's the one with um, Jeremy Renner. Maybe? Yeah, Jeremy Renner. Uh, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. He's the, it was him and Robert Patrick and what, Jenna Sims, I think, is in mm-hmm. that? And then most rec- more recently, uh, he had Stronger. Uh, that's, that's that uh, Japanese, inter- or Japanese prison camp, prisoner of war camp movie, which... I believe that's that one. It's it's. I think that I thought that was really. No, sorry. Stronger is the Boston Marathon movie, uh, mm. which with Jake Gyllenhaal. That was great. Uh, along with Widows in the Rhythm Section. I don't know if you ever got around to watching the Rhythm Section with. Uh, oh, why can't I think of her name? Married to Ryan Reynolds right now. Blake Lively. Blake Lively. Thank you. I want to say that's right. I'm probably wrong again. Nope. Blake Lively. I'm right. Okay. Uh, so quite the career, lots of, lots of titles to his name and lots yeah. of multiple titles in a, in a, in a year kind of thing. So that's, that's interesting. Um, and I see it, I see it throughout the rest of the stuff that I've watched of his, uh, very much, very similar, uh, filming style. Uh, 12 years of sleep is amazing. No, it really is. And, and again, like I'm not, I'm not like trying to take anything away from that because i still think there's a really high chance that it's probably something to do with my my television settings but i don't know i just remember it being like so jarring at points and and but but then again there are other points like um there's a point where he comes back to like an apartment or a hotel room or something like that and he kind of like chucks his keys across it and there's like these two windows that are 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 lit and then um our our characters silhouetted and that's a very beautiful shot so i mean like there's also some very 
very strong cine, uh, cinematography moments in this as well, uh, which is why I'm like inclined to believe that it's more of my television just being on the wrong settings. But I don't know. It's just strange to me because you're right. He is a great cinematographer. Like he's done some incredible movies. So overall, you recommend people watch it or don't recommend people watch it? No, I mean, I definitely think that you should watch it. I just think that if you're going to watch it, you really shouldn't expect like a biopic of either one of these characters. You know what I mean? Like it just really isn't that. And at the same time, I don't feel like you should, uh, you know, I also don't think you should expect to get kind of a normal period piece drama film either it's something somewhere in between those two i do think it's worth a watch just um if if for no other reason the performances because again everyone that's in this movie does an outstanding job like every single character down to even kind of the smaller background characters like even even they have kind of this very unique identity to them um, and strong personalities and feel very humanistic uh, through this film, which I think is incredibly important. Um, so I do, I do, I do think it's worth a watch. I, I really do. What about you? I, I think it's worth a watch. I, 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 I think it's getting the right amount of praise that it, it deserves. Uh, and, and if you have the opportunity, you should watch it. Uh, okay. Switching over to the last film in the Best Picture uh, nominee category, The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, Mark Gaddis, Olivia Williams, Imogen Poots, Rufus Sewell. Uh, quite the cast. Quite the cast. Um, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought it would. And I know that it's a drama, and I know that it's not science fiction, but when we first the movie first starts out and you, it, it feels like for some reason he's a character that's like unstuck from time. I really thought like there's a weird sci-fi like angle to this movie that could really be picked at. I, I I mean, I, I know that what we're really dealing with here is, is a dramatization, I guess of the way someone who is suffering from dementia experiences the world and i i mean this filmmaker that uh let's see it's directed by florian, florian zeller florian zeller and the writers are Kristen christopher hampton uh and florian zeller do they know exactly that this is how a person who has dementia is is experiencing the world or is this like a i don't want to say romanticized but like a hyper traumatized yeah yeah like version of what they think it is and to me that's good but it's also bad like it seems to me like you're putting a spotlight on it which is good but are you portraying it in the best way possible uh that helps to make it so that people are going to understand like obviously this is a movie it's not here to make it so that you have a better understanding of what dementia is it's it's a it's telling a story and it's this person's story or these people's story uh, but it is the biggest platform like one of the biggest platforms to get it to a wide audience and it makes me think like like you know so for so long in the past, we've had so many movies that portray 
quote unquote disabilities in such a horrible way that it's it puts a stigma on uh you know those disabilities for other people for those people for so long that it's it's you know it takes a lot to build the right uh communications for that for those people and it's just it it I, it's kind of the thing that was going through my mind throughout this whole movie does that make sense it, what I was no, saying? It, it, yeah, it, it, it does. And, um, you know, to be very honest with you, I, I, this movie totally messed with my head because, like, I was not in any way, shape, or form anticipating that it was going to play out in this type of approach. And so it took me a little bit, like, it was very disorienting to me in that regard of, of being like, whoa. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. Like, I don't necessarily think this is meant to depict a 100% accurate depiction of, of what someone with, you know, dementia is, is probably going through because number one, uh, I would imagine there's different, you know, severities of it and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everyone's kind of mental reality is already different. You know what I mean? Like we remember things very differently. You know, our memory is not a perfect thing to even start with or even to remotely begin with like, um, at all. You know what I mean? So I, I do think that it's, it's trying its best to disorient you in the way that maybe someone with dementia might be disoriented more so than trying to say, this is what it's actually like. I think it's just trying to give you a little bit of experience of, of why someone with dementia might get really confused and frustrated at times. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I do think it, uh, I, I do think it accomplishes that because like there was, and I think it's done in a very, very clever way, like across uh, the way that it utilizes the actors uh, all the way from beginning to end. The production design, again, like all of the different places that he goes to, there is an unbelievable similarity to all of them. Um, even like the doctor's office, like there's like a part where he uh, goes up to the door and they walk in and like the shot, you're like, oh, he's back in the other flat now. And then they kind of move the camera around and then you're like, oh my gosh, nope, this is totally a doctor's office. What the F? So I I, I have to say, I, I do feel like what they set out to do, they did in an extremely, uh, I think, I think an extremely well done mannerism. I agree. Like it, it does. It, it very much gives you that disorientation that might just put you in the the shoes of of someone that's suffering from dementia. And and the, I mean that can't be a bad thing. I, I I honestly don't think it can be. And I just I just I really I really enjoyed. I mean, who doesn't enjoy Anthony Hopkins' per, uh, performance in just about anything, right? Um, there's there's moments in this movie where he walks into a room and obviously he doesn't recognize the person that's there and he, or he doesn't recognize even his own daughter, which for us is either at one point played by Olivia Williams or Olivia Coleman. And, uh, they are still, they're supposed to be being the same person. Uh, like, I don't know if at some point you're supposed to be like, well, is someone paying a trick on him? Like, is, like, are we supposed to, are we just supposed to stick with the dementia thing throughout the whole thing? Um, the, there's a part, there's like parts when he's like getting very physically upset. You can see it in his face. You could see it in his body language. And then one person says something and goes, Oh yes, of course. You know, and he, he just immediately changes to like accepting it, even though you know 
he doesn't truly accept it. He he just wants to play along because he doesn't want to make anybody else upset anymore. Mm-hmm. And that to me, that's it's like that's just a great scene that happens often in this movie. Uh, just to see him as an actor pr- portraying that. Uh, yeah, uh, I I have to agree with you. I feel like this is probably one of the strongest performances I think I've ever seen him deliver because, again, you're absolutely right. There are um, an unbelievable amount of times throughout this movie where you're kind of hitting this all-time elated high of happiness, and then the very next moment you're hitting this unbelievably rock-bottom moment of, of sorrow and he's just up and down like a roller coaster through this whole movie from like moment to moment, minute to minute. And I, I just, you know, that has to be incredibly challenging. Like that has to be very difficult to achieve that. And, and not only to achieve it, but he achieves it in such a believable mannerism. Like there was never, like I completely forgot throughout most of this movie that that was even anthony hopkin mm-hmm. uh, hopkins you know what i mean like i just was going through this and i i you know in those moments where he's elated and happy and you're you're kind of celebrating with him and then in the next moment you're just feeling awful for him and 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 so you know just upset at at what's going on with it with his character i just, I, I was truly blown away by his performance in this i think it was just incredible I, I I agree. I, I think his performance is great. And I also think Olivia Coleman's performance is great. Uh, oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, I think that she just does an amazing job. Um, switching over just for a second, though, on uh, a story-like line, a uh, story mm-hmm. um, topic, were you following the the... Time, quote unquote timeline of when the the Paris discussion actually happened. Uh, I I mean, I think when when the movie kind of originally started, I was kind of trying to like piecemeal everything together in my mind and kind of like create my own timeline for it. But I very quickly just kind of let that go because I was it, I don't know it just felt kind of like that wasn't really what I wanted to focus on while watching it. And, and, and I think to some degree, I also struggled with kind of keeping my mind on that because I was so engrossed in what, again, everyone was doing on the screen with their performance. Cause, because I mean, I mean like literally there are so many different characters like um, that are playing two characters. You, you know what I mean? Like they're kind of, you know, cause even the other guy, I can't think of his name, but he's like the other uh, male caretaker at the facility like there's times where he's bouncing back and forth between uh being that caretaker or you know being the husband of you know his daughter and you know so you're kind of like okay well i don't know i was just so kind of captivated by that that at, at i short or very quickly i guess i should say kind of gave up on that pursuit of like putting this in any sort of like cohesive linear timeline personally Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there were times where it kind of i like i'm thinking on it now and i'm like i would love to see if someone edited this in just a way that was like the actual linear story of events like it would be kind of very curious to compare the two just to see how that is because there are some moments that double up too like the the moments at dinner with like the chicken and he's you know, initially walking up to hear the conversation but he hasn't had dinner yet but then he gets up to get more chicken and it's the same conversation and then Mm -hmm. You're like, what? 
so yeah, that's an interesting observation. That did you kind of figure something out? You think or so? I, I, I no, not really. But I, I know this is exactly the least important part of this movie. Uh, th- this whole uh, timeline. But the way in my head works out is that Rufus Sewell plays Paul. Paul is uh, Olivia Coleman and husband. Uh, I think the thing where he slaps Anthony Hopkins actually happened uh, and eventually and figures it out that he is not the best. She eventually leaves him and it's years later when she says, I've met a new guy. Uh, James, I think is what the guy's new name is or the, mm-hmm. the guy that she's so. going to live with in, in France or Paris. In Paris. Yeah. Um, and, and that's in yeah that's much later so in the in, in the interim like timeline when she and he's like you know uh you said you're going to paris and she's like i've never talked about paris like it's never that was never a thing that's never going to happen uh obviously we're intercutting mark gaddis's character and olivia williams's character because in his state his his mental state he is projecting these new faces onto the memories that he had from before eventually when we get to the very end like his dementia has become so severe he is regressing to a childlike state where he, mm-hmm. he he's crying out for his mother and wanting to go home and so obviously there are different there the there's different parts that are out of order but yeah i think do, do you think that imogen poots actually looks like what, or does have the face of the the um daughter that that got killed in the car accident or do you think that was a misdirect too i mean i honestly i don't know because i don't you know kind of doesn't seem like we really ever you know get a chance to to know but um obviously there was something already off with paul because you know he yeah, you know, she makes that comment to him. You know, she's like, "Oh, he thought she looked like so and so," and he's like, "Well, does she?" And then he's like, "Oh, why is that the age you want to be with, or something like that?" Like, she makes some comment back to him about kind of like implying that he's maybe been unfaithful as well. Right, right. Um, so I, I, I mean, I would tend to agree with you. I think that is kind of a to, I guess, answer the first question. I'm not sure whether she actually looks anything like the daughter or not. I guess we do see the image that uh, he has the photo on his table of the two of them. And it's I mean, blurry, you don't really get a good, yeah. It's like, you don't really ever get a good look at it. Um, you just see kind of a dark haired, uh, woman and uh, a blonde woman. So you're like, okay, well it's highly possible that she does. But yeah, I mean, again, I don't think we're, um, I don't think we're ever going to really, really know. Um, the other thing though, is uh, you talked about a little bit was the, the scene where, uh, Paul, hits him and then the end where he's kind of regressing to a childlike state and and he's you know crying for his his mom um i don't know about you but my gosh those two scenes were just unbelievably uh, heartbreaking to try and 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 get through that i i just i felt so absolutely disgusted when he started hitting him Mm -hmm. and i'm just like oh my god like i just uh i don't know It, it, it Oh, it just really sat with me. And and the very last sequence, too, where 
he's kind of you know getting so confused about everything that's going on and he just starts crying out for his mom and you're just like oh my gosh it's just so unbelievably heartbreaking to you know i i don't know and obviously it hits close to home for anyone who has kind of older parents or even thinking about your parents eventually getting to a point that may be anywhere similar to that and uh yeah, it's uh, it's just so heartbreaking from from those two you know scenes. Yes, it really is. It really is. Um, speaking speaking on 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 the filmmaking part of this, uh, I mean, I, I think there would have been a there's a lot that has to go into the. I mean, not that there isn't already a lot to plan for planning any movie or any shoot, but like the way that this is shot out of sequence or not out of sequence but with time jumps or you know all this stuff like mm-hmm. how did you feel about the way that this looked well i mean again this is one of those things where you kind of think about like a boss level or something like that where you've got these kind of like time loop things that are happening in a film right and you know i think when we did the podcast on that you mentioned that you're like you know, it's very easy to um misuse those types of things or to kind of get old with it or to do it in such a way that it starts to feel really gimmicky. And I feel like this film did such a good job of never even coming close to that threshold. Like it's still somehow managed to feel like kind of fresh and, and kind of disconcerting every time it happened. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine sitting down like because obviously you're watching the movies you're getting a lot more visual information but like to me i can't imagine sitting down and just reading the script for this like i i i really want to know like what was going through like anthony hopkins mind and things like that when he was like sitting down reading this um and you're right i mean i think from a planning and execution standpoint like you know, you certainly at that point would have done, I would imagine, a good amount of pre-production. So, you, you know, you would have some storyboards and things like that, as well as script breakdowns to kind of help you keep it somewhat there. But I mean, I would also feel like you would have to have a relatively decent script supervisor on the one hand to kind of keep track of everything. But then on the other hand, I'm like, well, even if you didn't keep track of everything perfectly, that's also kind of the point. So maybe it's a little more forgiving in that standpoint. But... It's, you know, it's a targeted break of the continuity. So it still needs to have a continuity, even though it's being disjointed. And I do think they did a good job of that. But I I would imagine it probably did pose some of its own uh, challenges. What was the one we watched? Uh, Was it American Pickle with Seth Rogen, where Mm -hmm. they like were putting nails in the sidewalk because they were going to have to come back to it like six months or something (laughs) later? Like. I feel like it probably was just as, you know, kind of confused. But that movie also deals with time travel. So, I mean, I guess the moral of the story is don't do a movie that has anything to do with time (laughs) uh, being altered. Uh, This was also a play. This was a play before it was a movie. Yeah, it's it's a the the writer director. um, We just had uh, Florenzel Zeller. Sorry. Uh, it has done this as a play. So it, could you imagine all this being done on a set, on a stage? Well, I guess in some ways it, it, yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways I could actually see that being almost a little bit easier because, or, or at least it makes a little more sense with the production design aspect of the, of the sets and the locations because they do look identical, but with like different set dressings. Mm-hmm. So, and even, even like the, 
like I said, when they go to the doctor's office, it's like that could have very easily just been like the hallways to the apartment, just the, the flats for that kind of push closer together and like a couple of extra things put on the wall. So I guess in some ways when you say that, I'm like, yeah, that actually does kind of make even more sense to me now. But what a what a clever and brilliant way to transition that from uh, stage to film. And I think I, I, I haven't seen the play. I would imagine it would be probably just as effective. Um but I mean, I feel like that's a really incredible, uh, powerful way to minimize your cost as well, because you're just kind of reusing the same location over and over uh, because everything is is almost identical. And I imagine it probably is the actual same room. It's probably just different set dressings. But like, you know, the room that he starts out in and then, you know, you find out he's moved in with the daughter and then eventually all the way at the end, like the room that he's staying in at the care facility so I think from a production standpoint, that's pretty brilliant to kind of keep your costs down some too, I would think. Yeah. No, uh, I, I switched over before I said it, but the, the cinematographer on this was Ben Smithard. Uh, he currently is, it, it, he has a show on, on HBO uh, called The Nevers that he is the director of photography on. Um, he did Goodbye Christopher Robin uh, and, uh, and the second best exotic marigold hotel and the trip and a, a slew of other things. Uh, but these are things that I know of. Okay, Richard, uh, adding these two. And now we've watched all the movies that have been nominated for a best, uh, picture Oscar. Uh, are you sticking with the, your, your previous vote for what you think is going to win? Um, or what you want to win. I don't remember. Well, what, what did we say? Did yeah, we, say we did we want. Okay. We did want. I think we did want to win what we want to win. No, I, I think I am going to change uh, my thing. And I'm trying to recall all of it. How many were there again? Were there seven? You, uh, seven or Six? nine? Seven? Was there, was there nine? There might have been nine. It might have it been nine. Because I think I was just like, why not just go for that tenth movie? Since you can do ten. Okay, yeah. I think... I think you're right, but I think okay. Let me see here. I'm trying to remember them all. I feel like at this point, my my front runner is now the father. I think behind the father, I would probably go um, Nomadland still because, like, I, again, that movie just kind of haunted me, and and because of the way that it was done. Then I would probably say um, the Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Then I would probably say Minari. And then after Minari, maybe Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm trying to remember all the rest of them here. Um, I think you've... No, no, it would probably be uh, the, the Trial of the Chicago 7, then probably Judas and the Black Messiah. Then maybe Mank. And I feel like I'm missing one other one, but so, my, my bottom would be Promising Young Woman. So I think I'm still missing one, though. There's eight. There's only eight. Not nine. Oh, so that's okay. So then that's them, right? That's all of them, right? Yeah. So um, I think that's my order. What about you? So you what think would promising you... young woman is the least likely to win? Uh, and I'm, I, that's the one I least want to win because oh, it's the movie I liked fair, the fair. least. I, I I just did not really. I mean, it's okay, but it, I I don't know. I I didn't really enjoy that one anywhere near as much as I did all the rest of these other. Uh, other films what about you though that's funny because the one that i enjoyed the least is mank like i did not make sense get any real like i didn't hate it i just didn't get really any great 
feeling out of it. Uh, so I have a feeling, though, that's going to be the case for most everyone that's not a big Citizen Kane junkie, which, to be fair, I wasn't either at one point. And then, like, I kind of had to watch it so many times that I think I've got, like, brainwashed into loving that movie, maybe. But, mm-hmm. I, but I totally don't think you're wrong. I think after that, Nomadland is, is like, my next on my least... Uh, like okay. of the movies uh and then the the last what six movies there are all pretty close together for me i i really found something i really enjoyed out of all of them like i know trial chicago seven is not gonna win i know uh that i just i just feel that but i i really enjoy the dialogue in that so much uh sound of metal i also think was isn't gonna win like as much as i enjoyed Riz Ahmed performance, you know, the story behind that. I don't think there was enough there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Judas and the Black Messiah and uh, uh, would come in right right about there. And we just talked about that, how much I enjoyed that movie more than I thought I would. I think Minari, the father and promising young woman, really speaks to a different story like Minari definitely is a very similar story to what we've seen before like it's mm-hmm. it doesn't really seem anywhere out of the box uh so that's why that one probably won't win but I felt like we don't see these particular set of people's story being told often so mm-hmm. that's why I feel like that was important but promising young woman and, and the father to me very much have a story that we don't see often uh and told in a way that we don't see often uh absolutely so to me those are the two top contenders and i still think it goes to promising young woman wow okay yeah all right i i could be completely out of the the loop though like i don't you could be totally right (laughs) i could be right i could be i mean i have a one in eight chance of being right so I like those. I'll odds. take it. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, then I guess we will have to sit and wait and find out how close we are. Yeah, I you know I I, I gotta say uh, I agree with you though, and, and I do I do want to be clear on this. Like I have that order, but it took a while to get to that. Like it, <laughs> I. Th- I, and I did not think that. What I mean, I, I don't remember how long ago it was at this point that you were like, hey, did you see the Oscars came out and here's the nominations? I was like, eh, okay, I don't really care about any of these. And then I got to say, I watched them and I was like, wow, that's actually going to be a tight race this year, I think. I mean, granted, it's not always about the merit and stuff. We know that there's some outside influences and things mm-hmm, that play mm-hmm. a role. And that's, that's the way it is. That's okay. But like... Just from us, like in, in our terms of viewing these things, I have to say I was kind of shocked at how much competition there really would be to put these in a, in like a winning selection. Like it's not an easy thing this year. Well, when, like, when these two, when this came out, I think you had seen one of the nominees, right? Because you hadn't we hadn't watched Mank yet. Or had we already I watched Mank? I, no, I think I think you're right. I feel like the only thing we had seen was at that point was right. I think so. Uh, but again, or I no, said this I earlier. Memory's saw, not perfect. I think we also <laughs> saw Promising Young Woman. Or no, maybe that okay. was that came after because I, I think you were like you were like, oh no, I think you you really want to watch that, don't you, Mitch? And I was like, yeah, I do. So we'll, we'll go and watch that. Uh, I think so. yeah, I think you're right. I don't. I really don't remember. But uh, but well, yes, I just I, hope that sounds right. 
I hope that this watching these eight movies and it sounds like you ended up with a net positive of, of enjoying yourself or enjoying these movies that you come to remember that you do have a love for movies. <laughs> That's why you do a movie podcast and we'll make time to watch more movies this year. Well, uh, trust me, it's it's not an issue of not wanting to watch movies. Like, I know, I, I know. I would love to. Like, I just, I you know, it, it's just very. Ch- I mean, on top of everything else, it's also challenging because which is stupid it shouldn't be but like it should be easier because these movies are coming straight to my house now more available but um you know probably come summertime uh, i'm thinking things might slow down a little bit so i'll probably have some time to to watch some more films because yeah i do it's not that i was like oh bah humbug i hate movies now like well okay maybe that's not true for a while there i was kind of like oh i don't know where the industry is going this is just getting boring (laughs) um but i think that's another reason these are all kind of refreshing is that none of these are and, and again this is not a dig at comic book movies because i do watch those and i do enjoy those i just got a little fatigued on it but now i'm watching invincible which is a comic book hero type show and i'm like wow this is pretty doggone uh pretty doggone good so even that's not off the table there you go maybe next week our movie will be something that's just not so serious though oh i think it will be i I definitely (laughs) don't think it's going to be serious because i'd have something to recommend maybe All right. If you have any opinions on these movies or anything that we talked about today, please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Richard, where can people find you online? So the easiest way to find me online is to just go to Rykoen.com, R-I-C-O-W-N.com. And you can see my socials on there. You can see some of my virtual photography. And you can also read my one blog post that I wrote I think in 2016. So I've been been super good about that too. So uh, that's awesome. I almost feel like I should just like text you once a day. Just be like, have you wrote in a blog post today? Like just so you can get something up there. Well, again, it's it's not that I don't want to do I know. it. I, I just understand. don't have time. And if I did, I would probably be like, just put this on the Geek Elite one and I'll also just post it on mine because, you Well, know. now that you've thrown that out there, I will, will text you at least See? once a day. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love more uh, content for our website, which... I'm going to have to hire a ghostwriter and just dictate <laughs> to them or something. Which is geekelitemedia.com. You can check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network if you want to talk to anybody else on twitter from geekly media it's at geekly media on twitter at geekly media on instagram and facebook.com forward slash geekly media is our facebook page please rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you use to help spread the word of our network but until next time this is the mitch and rich show on the geekly media network saying always remember to geek out geek out this concludes our broadcast 